So in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 3, speaking of believers, it says, And you died. You died. We gave our lives to Christ, says you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Talking about this whole idea of sacrificing yourself, giving of yourself, dying to self. I was thinking of a couple different stories. I was talking to someone in the last couple years, and they they were they had recently lost their mom. And they were, they were, they were struggling with the loss and with kind of processing through their own personal grief. They had a kind of a different relationship. I wouldn't say a poor relationship with their mother, just a, you know, strained a little bit when they were, as they were growing up and then it got better and it was kind of a struggle. And so they were dealing with their own grief, but they also had a younger sister and she, um, was really struggling with the loss of their mother. And trying to, trying to come to grips with what she was going through and trying to handle that loss. And in the midst of this person's, this woman's own grief, she really turned her attention to her younger sibling and invested the time into her younger sibling, helping her, helping her sister get through this. Because she seemed to be really having a, a much more difficult time handling what she was going through. And so she put aside her own pain. She put aside, and in some ways, a lot of her own grief during that time and just focused on what her sister was going through. It was a, it, honestly, it was a selfless act. It was a very selfless act. But, but now that time had passed, now that time had gone by, that they were feeling that she was feeling the weight of her choice of taking the time during that season of her life to focus on someone else, she was feeling the intense weight of that choice because now she had to process through that loss herself. And and in a time where kind of what happens is people, as they go through a loss, people come around them. And then as that loss, you know, if it's a year or two years or three years later, um, people, you know, move on, if you will. And so that person was left to deal with their grief and with their pain pretty much on their own. I was talking to someone else who was working with a coworker, but also a friend. These two, these two men were friends and they were working on a business project together. And both of them had invested a lot of time, a lot of energy on this project that they were doing for the company. It was a project that was necessary for both of them to move forward in the company. It was extremely important for their future, both their futures within that particular company. And so they were both working on this project, putting equal effort in, you know, weekends, working weekends, uh, you know, long days to put this project together. And when the project was nearly complete, the friend went behind his back and and took most of the credit for the project, all the work on that project, securing himself, if you will, himself a stronger position within the company because now he thought that he did it. The uppers in the company thought that that person had done most of the work because he went behind the other person's back and took most of the credit for it. What is it? What does it actually mean? When God says that we need to die to self, what does it mean to be selfless? Because honestly, we're talking about, okay, you're exploring Christ and then you're growing in Christ and you're close to Christ and Christ centered. This is where, this is where that selflessness comes in. People who are spiritually mature, who are Christ centered, are, are, are better at dying to self than people who are not there spiritually or in, in maturity wise. But that's something we should all be striving for. The Bible constantly talks about it. Becoming more like, right? You're growing, you're taking steps to becoming more like Christ. Becoming Christ-like. That's the goal. So what does it, what does it actually mean? What does God mean when he talks about being selfless? That he, well, he means that we need to be dead to our sinful attitudes. We need to be dead, if you will, to our pride. We need to die, if you will, to our self-centeredness. 
And this goes, this is so difficult, it goes against our, our nature, okay? By nature, we talked about this like last couple of weeks, we're selfish. We think about ourselves first, you know? It's like, you know, self-preservation. And the Bible's saying, you know, you've got to put away that self-centeredness. You need to die to those things. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 2, it says this, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Baptized into his death. Dying to, dying to self means that we, we die to the games and to the, to the, to the, to the concerns and to the desires of this world. We die to those things. And I know, again, I'm going to talk about this throughout the whole entire sermon. I know how difficult that is, but that's what the Bible calls us to do and, and, and calls us to be, to be dead to those types of things. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 20, it says, Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Because we're not living that out. What we actually have achieved through Jesus Christ, we're not really living that out, growing to the point where that becomes a part of who we are. Yes, we dabble in a little bit. We, we, we're sacrificial in some ways, especially the people we like, right? We can be sacrificial to the people we like, but any further than that, it gets a little more difficult. So it says, since you, since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? When you die to self, you no longer play by the world's rules. You no longer play by the rules. But the thing is, we get sucked up into culture. We get sucked up into the world, wanting to please the world, if you will, that we still play by the rules of the world. We still act like the world, if you will, when Christ is calling us to act and be more like him. Paul is basically saying this in the same way. That Christ was literally dead and in the grave, in the tomb. We, by virtue of our connection with Him, have become dead to sin. We've become dead to worldly influences. We've been, we've become dead to, to really our selfish ambition. You get two friends, both, both not really vying for a position, but basically vying for a, um, for a, a long longevity within a company, and one friend turns on the other friend because he's more concerned about himself, he's more concerned about his own interests, about him achieving, than his friend is. And he takes credit for something. And the Bible's saying, you need to die to your selfish ambitions. And the only way, the only way that we're ever going to get there is to recognize that we are, and we, we don't have to use these exact words, but some of us are getting there, but they're not, we're not there yet. And we need to acknowledge that we're not there yet. We need to acknowledge that we behave this way in a lot of circumstances. You see it so easily, right? I, I'm, I'm, I, I, people joke about this, but I'm talking about myself here as well, all right? I see it so easily in someone else, but not in myself. You see it so easily when other people do it to you, but you don't see it when you do it to other people. And we're not going to grow until we take a step back and look at our own motives, look at our own perspectives and say, this is something I need to work on as well. We died, okay, when we gave our lives to Christ, we died to those things that seemed to have control over the rest of the world. But they should have no more influence over us than the things of this earth had over Jesus when he was in the grave. We died to those things. Now, here's the reality. That may not be the way that we're living right now. And it's okay to honestly say that. You're saying to yourself, you're looking at this step and you're saying, I'm kind of right here and I'd like to get here. That's good. That's good to acknowledge that. Or, you know, I'm close to Christ, but I want to be, when Christ-centered is like spiritual maturity, I, I think of others more than I think of myself most of the time. 
But we have to admit that, you know, here, the good thing is we may not be living this way right now, but that's what we're capable of in Jesus Christ. What I just described to you is what we are capable, you are capable, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you are capable of moving from here to here. It's there. It's in there. Because you have died to self and what you're, you are so, you're capable of doing it, we're just not doing it now. Listen, think about this. Jesus Christ, it says you are dead to those things. Do, do the dead, do the dead let fears of, of the world, the different fears that you have in your, do the dead allow their fears to overwhelm them? Do they? No, exactly. They don't. The dead don't allow their fears to overwhelm them, but our fears seem to overwhelm us a lot. We're working toward the point where our fears don't overwhelm us. Do the dead worry and stress about the daily concerns of life? Do the dead, I mean, do you think, go in a grave, go to a graveyard and think to yourself, are these, are these dead people worried about all the things that I'm worried about? Are their concerns overwhelming them? The answer is no, because they're dead. And that's what we're talking about here. We can be dead to some of these things. We should be dead. We are dead to them instead with Christ and now we need to grow and allow we just need to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives we let go of some of the things that overwhelm us one of the first passages of scripture that changed my life I was sitting alone in Virginia I had just graduated high school I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life wasn't sure I wanted to go to college yet because I wasn't really that wasn't my thing I just wanted to get out of high school back in 1979 1980 Okay, let alone go to college. Then I got saved and my life was transformed and I wanted to be a youth pastor. So I started thinking about, oh, well, I have to go to college if I want to be a youth pastor. But I was in Virginia because I had decided when, <laughs> real quick, my philosophy of life when I wasn't a believer was I hate everyone I don't know and I hate most people I do know. That was my philosophy of life. Well thought through based upon my existence on that earth from birth through 17 years old. So my whole plan was go to Virginia, grab a bunch of acreage, live on there, and keep everyone else away from me. Okay? I'll get married, I'll have my kids and family, we'll live there, everybody else can stay away. Alright? So I got saved, but I was, my trajectory was go to Virginia, and so I went to Virginia, and I was sitting in Virginia, okay, my dad lived in Virginia, my brother lived in Virginia, and I was sitting there and thinking to myself, what am I, I got saved at that point, what am I doing here? I want to preach the gospel to people and they're all, I see cows and it's like a lot of squirrels, but they're not a ton of people. I need to get back to civilization and share the gospel with people. I was so excited, but there's no one to talk to. And I was sitting there and I, I had, I was the kind of person who I worried a lot and I was concerned about a lot of things. I read this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 34. It says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying at a single hour to his life? Think about that. Isn't that right? Who, which one of us by worrying about all the things we worry about can add a single hour to our lives? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. So why do you why do you worry saying what shall we eat and what shall we drink and what shall we wear for the pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well therefore do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself each day has enough trouble of its own we worry, we stress, we, we, we just buy into all the things. We watch politics and we engross ourselves in the political, what's going on and who's going to get impeached and are they going to do this and what about whatever her name is and she's a communist and she's, and, we, and we're all stressed and worried about it. 
You died to those things. Should you be a good American and vote? You sure should. Should you keep up with current events? Yeah. Should you sit around watching CNN or Fox News or MSNBC all the time to the point it, or get online and stress yourself out the whole day wondering if they're going to try to impeach President Trump? No, you shouldn't. You shouldn't. Pray? Absolutely. Pray for, pray for Democrats, pray for Republicans, pray for your leaders. Do that. But getting caught up in all the things of the world and every little nuance and all, it eats you alive and it focuses you on things you shouldn't be focused on. You should be focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ. You should be focused on taking care of orphans and widows in their distress. You should be focused on the things the word of God tells you to focus on and not these other things because they all lead to worry and stress and anxiety and you're overwhelmed and all of it. And you should be dead to those things. I'm not saying you're never concerned about what's going on around you, but you need to focus on what's most important and realize, which is what Matthew 6 is saying, guess who's in control of all this? Guess who wins at the end? Right. Guess who wins? Do you really think that the Republican Party or the Democratic Party or any party or anything or any whatever can overcome the will of God? No. Okay? No. Colossians 3.3 says, For your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Christ is your treasure. And where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Christ is your treasure. You died and your life is now hidden with Christ. You were buried with him in baptism. You were raised to life in Christ. Your life is now hidden with God. And all these other things are significant, but not more important than what God is calling you to do. Christ Jesus is your treasure, not anything else. Your focus should be on him. This world had no power and has no power over Jesus Christ at all. Okay. He is not limited, limited by or controlled. Okay. By its influences. Wasn't then isn't now. And you are in Christ, okay? You are with Christ in God. So the world never controlled, okay? Never influenced, never overwhelmed. Jesus never was wringing his hands when it came to, what's going to happen with the Romans? Render unto Caesar what is Caesar. Render unto God what is God. Can we move on now? Plus, can we move on to more important things? Never controlled him. Never overwhelmed him. This world had no power over him. Jesus' only concern, Jesus' only concern when he walked this earth was pleasing God the Father. That was his only concern. And now that we, now that we are hidden with Christ in God, that should be our only concern as well. Our only concern, your only concern walking this planet from now, okay, going all the way through, going from justification, right? When you gave your life to Christ, just as if I'd never sinned, uh, going from justification to sanctification, which is an ongoing process, right? So we're talking about the ongoing process to glorification when you're with Christ in heaven. From now till then, the only focus that you should have is focusing on Jesus Christ. Focusing on pleasing God the Father. That's your goal. Whatever you do, at work, at school, when you're in your neighborhood, when you're at home, your goal should be pleasing God. Whatever the world throws at you, whatever they want you to get all caught up in, that shouldn't be what you're caught up in. You should be caught up in pleasing God the Father. That's what Jesus did. That was his only concern while he was here on earth. When we are freed from the concerns, think about this is important. When you're freed from the concerns of this world, it moves you away from self-centeredness to other-centeredness. Okay, so you follow my line of thinking here? If you're completely consumed, what's going to happen? What am I going to do? What's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to my family? What's going to happen to me? And, my, if we, and you get caught up in all these things. When you move away from those things, when you're only focused, when you focus on God the Father and pleasing God, you move away from self-centeredness to others-centeredness. It's much easier. It's, it is really much easier to focus on the concerns and the interests and the needs of other people when you're not consumed and focused on your own needs, on what might happen. 
It's easier to focus on other people when you're not completely focused on yourself. And let me explain something to you. Everything in this world, just about everything that the world throws at you, makes you focus on yourself. You're not pretty enough. You're not good enough. You need this. You need that. You need the other thing. If you don't vote, if you don't vote in the neck, the whole world's going to heck in a handbasket. It's constant. It's all about you. It's all about focusing on yourself and what might happen. Oh, my goodness. Why? It's it's manipulation. It's control to control your thought process and what's important. What's important is what they tell you what's important. And I'm telling you, it's the opposite. Those things are not as important. What's most important is your relationship with Jesus Christ. You have died. When you asked Jesus Christ to come into your life, you died, okay, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God, okay, and you are brought back to life in Christ. So that all that matters is what happens through your relationship with Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, reminds us, we talked about it last week. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but also to the interests of the others, of others. That's what God's called us to do. God calls, calls us to not to look to our own interests, but to the interests of others, first and foremost, above yourselves, not as even equal to yourself, but above yourself. Like I said last week, when we truly understand what it means, when we, when we really understand what it means to, to live a selfless life, to die to self, when we understand what it means to die to self, and we understand and we start living it out in our lives, it is transforma- transformational. It will transform your life. When you understand what I'm talking about this morning, and you begin to live it out, it will transform your life. And I believe that every single person here truly wants that transformation. I really believe that. I believe that every single human being in this room wants that kind of transformation to be freed from from all the stress and all the worry and all the pressures and all the temptations and all the desires and all the pulls and the need for this and that. I believe that people want that kind of transformation, but we struggle. Here's what we struggle. We struggle with actually living it out. We, we struggle with living it out. There's no question if I asked you, and honestly, I believe that. Who wants what the world has to offer when it comes to all the stress and the misery that even goes with what they tempt you with? They tempt you with things and they leave you empty, stressed, worried, broke, whatever the case may be, addicted, overwhelmed, miserable, broken relationships. People want the transformation, but they, they don't know how to, or they struggle with living it out. We, we, think if we, we think if we live sacrificially, this is why, this is one of the reasons we don't do it. We think if we live sacrificially, that we're, we're, going, we're going to be taken advantage of. That we're going to be stepped on. That we're going to be somehow emotionally abused. And I want to stand up here this morning and tell you, you're absolutely right. You're right. You're absolutely right. If you sacrifice for other people, if you give of yourselves to others, you're going to be emotionally abused in some ways. You're going to be taken advantage and you're going to get stepped on. Okay? It's just, that's just the way of life. So, how do we then die to self, okay, without becoming a doormat? I just laid it all out for you. This is how we're supposed to live. How do we live that way? Because that's what a lot of you are thinking right now. This was a two, this is a one, this was one sermon. I broke it up into two parts. And a lot of you are saying, hey, where, where's our trinket? Uh, I didn't get my trinket. You know what I mean? I don't have my trinket. Okay. It, it's because it, you get your trinket next week for this because it's a two part sermon. All right. So I only had enough trinkets for it and I broke this up. So you'll get it next week. You get your trinket next week. But how then do we live this way? Because this is reality, okay? And I know what you're thinking. I'm not going to let people step all over me, okay? So how do we do that without becoming a doormat? How do we live this out without becoming a doormat? Let me give you a couple of biblical, some biblical principles, four of them, two this week, and I'll share two next week. First, okay, here's the thing. We have to, we have to admit reality 
Right? We have to come. One of the things where I believe that Christianity falls flat is that we've lost the idea that we have a sinful nature. Okay, that we live in a fallen world and have a sinful nature. We don't understand sinful nature. If you understood people's sinful nature, your life would completely transform. It would be totally different. But we don't. We get this idea that people are really good at heart and all this kind of thing. We don't understand what the Bible talks about when it's talking about a sinful nature. So we have to admit reality. We have to admit that we live in a fallen world. That every, we, right now we live in a fallen world. And we are not going to, this world's not going to be fair ever. It's never going to turn into a fair world. It's like half the population is, they want to be socialists, and I'm not being political, just hear me out for a second. They want to be socialists. You know why? It's not because they walk around, and, and I'm not saying all evil, they're all evil people. They long, okay, there's something that God has placed in all of us to realize that one day we're going to live in a new heaven and a new earth. It's ingrained in us. This is not home. All human beings know this is not home. Those of us who accepted Christ realize that that time will come, okay, where I get a glorified body. That time is coming, but it's not here. And it will never be here because we're here imperfect. Half the pop, or more than half the population believes that if we just come together and we sing, all we are saying is give peace a chance and everybody's going to love each other and we're gonna, and we just give everything away and just keep doing all you know and we'll build this nirvana right here at home if we just plant more trees. I'm big into planting trees, okay? But, and I'm great. I love the environment, but they, that's what they, that people are longing for the next life. When you get a new heaven and a new earth, and it's perfect, okay? It's a new heaven and a new earth, and we live in perfection. That's what they're longing for. They're just trying to get it here on earth. So when you hear people screaming and yelling this stuff, understand, it's, it's biblical, okay? This is, this is all spiritual. They're just doing it on the wrong side of heaven. That's their thought process. So we have to admit we live in a fallen world filled with selfish people. And realize that sometimes we're the selfish people. Not the other guy. We're the selfish people. Jeremiah 17, 9 says this. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Whose heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure? Point to the person next to you. Just point to that person. Yeah, right. (laughs) Someone pointed to you just so you know. Okay. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? We have to admit that we live in a culture that is consumed, okay, consumed with self-promotion. It's consumed with self-promotion and, 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 and selfish ambition. And that includes our Christian culture. All right? Celebrity is huge. Oh, Christians just, so, Christians want to be, so, so many Christians want to be celebrities. They want to be a celebrity. They want a platform. They want to be, they want to be known. They want to be the best this or the best that. They want to have the influence and we become Christian celebrities. Ravi Zacharias said Christian celebrity is an oxymoron because you know who the celebrities were way back when? Dead pe- martyrs. They were the celebrities. Did you hear about so-and-so? Yeah, he got burned at the stake. He was crucified upside down. He was sawed in half. Those people remembered. They were the celebrities. They were the dead ones. Whether you're in ministry or whether you're in business, it becomes difficult to navigate through all the egos, right? My, 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 my example earlier of the two guys who were friends and they were, they were in business and they were in the same company together and they were working through that project and one guy took the other, all, the, all the ideas and took it and said, hey, this was all mine kind of deal. Left the other guy in the dust. The question is, how do you deal with it when people take more than their share of the credit in your life in any area? How do you deal with that, right? We're supposed to be dead to self. So how do you deal with that kind of thing? How do, how do I do that? Does God, does God expect us to blindly, just blindly give of ourselves while other, while allowing other people to crush us in the process? Honestly, that's a deep question, and it's a challenging question. But the answer basically is no. That's not what God expects. That's not, that's not what it means to die to self, to let other people walk all over you and just trash you and, and abuse you and 
That's not what God expects. He expects us to to be dead to self. He expects us to put others before ourselves, but does not expect us in all circumstances to just let other people walk all over us. So how do we navigate the selfishness and cruelty of a world while at the same time living a sacrificial life? How do do we do that? I love this passage, and and it's so encouraging to me because it's so difficult. It really is. Paul faced the same type of challenge in, in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 18. And it really is a, it's a great illustration for us. It's a great example, a great principle for us. Okay, so while Paul's in prison, he's in prison. There are these people, Christians, okay, who are running around, supposed to be his brothers and sisters of Christ. They're running around preaching the gospel, okay, hoping that it would hurt him in the process by making him jealous that they were out there free to build their ministry while he was stuck in jail. And so they're, this is their attitude. He's stuck in jail. We're not, nan, and a boo boo. Okay, we're out there preaching the gospel, gathering up disciples. Look how big our ministry is getting while you're stuck in jail, hoping he's going to be miserable by their behavior. But the most surprising thing, as I read through this scripture, the most surprising thing about this text is how Paul's celebration of the gospel overrules, overrides his sorrow for their defective motives. Listen to what he says in Philippians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. He says this, It is true that some preach Christ out of rivalry and envy, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so uh, out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former, the people we just talked about, preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? What does it matter? What are you talking about, Paul? What matter? These people are stiffing you. They're trying to you know, steal your ministry. They're trying to... What, what, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Holy moly. I'm sorry. That's incredible. What Paul is telling us is that the kingdom of God is being built. It's a principle. If in a general principle, the kingdom of God is being built and lives are being changed, what does it matter? If the kingdom of God is moving forward and lives are being changed, what does it matter? Humble yourself and let God and others speak for you. Don't let it overwhelm you. Is, is the kingdom going forward? Yes. Did someone take credit for something? You, yes. Is the kingdom of God moving forward though? Yes, it is. Then you humble yourself and let God and others speak for you. In the book of Matthew, it says that if you take credit, keep this in mind, if you take credit for things that are not yours here on earth, or even if they are, if you're the one taking credit for everything, you, you got two or three of you started a business and one person takes all the credit for the business and goes around and he gets in, in all the magazines and gets to be interviewed on whatever Christian station or even on whatever station and, and takes all the credit for it. Understand, that's all they get. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, it says that they'll get, they, they get it here because they're taking it all here. Okay, so they get the glory here. When they get to heaven, they get nothing from God the Father. They're not going to get to heaven. God's go, oh, wow, that was just what you built was absolutely. No, they're done. They took it here. They don't get it there. You don't get it both. You took your you took your chance here. And so God, the God in heaven is not going to give you credit for those things. So don't fight back. Let it go. Let let it go. Trust that in time, God, God will make it right. Okay, because he will. God will make it right. Let truth and time walk hand in hand. That's so important. Truth and time walk hand in hand. So in this case, when something like that in general happens, it's best to die to self. Okay? So there's a principle. When do we die to self in those situations? That's a general principle. When the kingdom of God is being moved forward and people's lives are being changed and someone takes credit for it, then you take a step back and you die to self because you know the kingdom of God is moving forward. And maybe if you jump in and start demanding your rights and fighting for what's right, blah, 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 it may really negatively, profoundly affect the ministry. So you take it on the chin. You take one for the team. 
knowing that the person who took the credit is getting their credit now, but they will not get it in heaven. Because God's not going to let things go, okay? But you need to die to self in that situation. As difficult as that is, if the kingdom of God is not being advanced, or people are being negatively affected by their behavior, the people's behavior, then you need to confront that with speaking words of truth, but in love, all right? You do that. If speaking the truth in love does not work, then you may need to put boundaries around that relationship and pull yourself out of that situation. Doesn't say you take it on the chin. If the kingdom of God is not being advanced, okay, or people are being negatively affected, you step in and you speak the truth in love. And if the person doesn't respond, then you put boundaries around that relationship. Dying to self does not mean, here, hear me out. Dying to self does not mean letting everyone around you get their way. That is not spiritually healthy for them or for you. That's important because if you're thinking others more than you think of yourself, honestly, if you're, if you're, if you're, you're, you're Christ-centered, if you're spiritually mature, you realize allowing a person to behave that way is not helpful for them. They're not going to grow spiritually themselves. And so you step in and do what's necessary to help that person realize their sin, the sin in their lives. You point that out. If they do not respond to it, you may need to take yourself out of that relationship. But dying to self does not mean that you let everyone around you have their way. Because that is not that is not biblical, it is not healthy for them, and it's not healthy for you. Here's the reality. Self-sacrifice, okay? Dying to self is exhausting. It is, abso- it is exhausting, it is, it is painful, it is arduous, and honestly, honestly, most of the time it is thankless. It is thankless. You, you behave that way, even, even when you behave this way in front of others to try to teach lessons, to try to help people to understand this is the way to behave in this situation. Most of the time, they don't even see it and they take advantage of it. It's thankless. It's thankless. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. There, there, there are no, there's, there are no shortage of people who are willing to take advantage of your, of your love and your giving and your kindness. There's no shortage of people who are, who are, who will not take advantage of that kind of attitude. But here's, here's something that the Bible is absolutely clear about. Christians need to be known for their sacrificial attitude, for their sacrificial hearts. That's just the way it is. Regardless of how difficult, how painful, how strong, how much of a struggle it is, how thankless it is, we need to be known. We need to get to the point where you know what really matters? What does God think of me? Am I pleasing God? Remember what I said in the very beginning? Not about pleasing the world, it's about pleasing God. Jesus Christ was never concerned about pleasing everyone around him in the world. He was only concerned every breath he took, every step he took, every attitude he had with pleasing God. That should be our responsibility. We need to be known as having an attitude that pleases God, a sacrificial heart. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 10, it says, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Honor one another above yourselves. That means you err on the side of giving credit to the other person. If you're going to err on something, if you're in business and you did the thing together and you're in a meeting and their boss is sitting right there, you encourage, boy, I'll tell you what, John really worked hard on this. If it wasn't for him, I don't know if we'd have gotten this. I know he wouldn't have gotten this far. You, you err on giving credit to the other person. That's the kind of attitude Christ wants us to have. When we die to self, uh, we, we need to, we, when we die to self, our sacrifice reflects the nature of Jesus Christ. And that's all that matters. When you die to self, your attitude, your, your actions reflect the nature of Christ. In Philippians chapter 2, remember we read it last week? Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, it says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. The king of the universe that created everything comes down to earth, and at one point wraps a towel around his waist, gets on his knees, and washes other people's dirty feet. 
So the next time we all sit around going, man, that's not, who are they to tell me? I said this last week. Christians love the idea of being, being a servant until someone treats them like what? You love serving. Read Philippians chapter. This, this is, man, when I heard that, when I first heard that statement, Christians love the idea of being a servant until someone treats them like one. It was like, bam. And it's a good bam, right? Because it pushes you. The good bams push you. Right, it pushes you. The Holy Spirit starts working your heart, working your life, and and saying, you know, you're 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 coming along, but you you need to take that next step. I know that next step's hard, and the Holy Spirit just picks up your leg and helps you make the step. But that's what God calls us to do. That's who God calls us to be. As we die to self, we no longer. Here's the thing. Let's let's get real practical, okay? As you die to self, you no longer try to get your own way. You don't try to push your own agenda or your self-inflated, um, you know, ideas or opinions on other people. And I don't mean to be mean, but for goodness sake, sometimes we're our opinions and our ideas and some of our personalities are like that. We get into a room and we we're gonna, we we rule the room, man. We get into a room, there's six, seven other people, and everybody knows what we think, and everybody knows our opinions, and everyone knows that. Look, because you know when you. Because that's my personality. Well, sometimes maybe it's good to zip it, okay, and not push your own agenda, not push your own opinions, not push your own perspectives, and let the quiet person over here, who probably has amazing things to say, but personality-wise, they won't say it because someone else is dominating the whole room. Maybe that's you or me. And God says, why don't you take a step back? You have two ears and one mouth. That's why I gave you two ears and one mouth. And let someone else share that I've given gifts and talents and abilities to. Maybe they can bring something to the table that you're not hearing because you're the one taking up all the time doing the talking. I will literally be in conversation sometime and tell myself, shut your mouth. Don't say another word until this person has, says a whole bunch of stuff. Because if you put me in, I used to be a, I used to be a youth pastor and I go out and lunch with junior hires. Deb and I will go out and lunch with junior hires. High schools will talk to you. Junior hires will sit there and say nothing. I literally would have to have conversations with myself, okay, for like an hour and a half. And I could do it. I could just talk and 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 talk. And they go, mm-hmm, uh-huh, yeah, I don't know, you know. And I was, I would talk for an hour and a half. But at a certain point with other adults, you've got to just zip it. Because they actually have something to say. We need to stop desiring our own self-importance and thinking always that what we know is best that my opinion is best, that I know how to do everything better than everyone else. And here's the thing. We need, to tr- we need to stop trying to impress all the people around us. Okay? Because here's the even, wor- even worse than that. We have to stop finding our value and our worth and our identity in what all these other people think. What is the only opinion that matters? Jesus didn't, do you think Jesus cared one iota what Pilate thought, or what the Romans thought, or what the Pharisees thought, or what the Sadducees thought, or what his disciples thought? Do you think he cared? No. He loved them. He wanted to hear their opinions, probably saw some cool jokes around the fire. Okay, that all probably happened. But do you think he cared? Do you think he found his identity, or his purpose, or his value, or anything in what someone else thought? Not a, not a bit. Not a tiny bit. We need to let go of trying to impress people and finding our worth and value in what they think. If, if you think about it, dying to self actually makes your life a lot, a lot more, more simple because, or easier because we are content. Listen, this is amazing. We're content even when we're overlooked. Even what you are content, if you get to that point, you are content even when you're overlooked or intentionally forgotten. You're still content. Why? Because you find your identity in Jesus Christ. You find your identity in God. And like I keep saying, uh, none of these is easy. None of these is, none of this, none of, you know what's really been exciting for me during this series? Is that I keep throwing, I keep dumping heavier and heavier theology on you okay or just biblical truth and i'm i'm waiting for a pushback and i'm not getting it that's why i keep going (laughs) i'm i'm hitting you and you're not you're not pushing back at all matter of fact you're like oh yeah 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 that was a good one that really got to my i'm like whoa (laughs) 
That's encouraging to me. So I'm telling you again, this is not, this is so, this is not easy, not easy is a, is a simple way to say it. This is so challenging. This is so difficult. But what we need to remember, we talked about a few weeks ago, in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, Paul was saying that we need to continue to work out our salvation. Okay, here's the good part, okay? He says to work out, to work out. And so we, we talked about this Roman philosopher, His name was uh, uh, Strabo. And the Roman philosopher used the same Greek word, okay, that Paul used when he said to work out, except he used it 60 years before when he was talking about the Romans in Spanish mines and having the Roman miners mine out or, or work out the riches and the value and the worth of the mines. It was the riches, the value, the worth, everything, all that was in there was all in there. They just needed to work it out. They needed to mine it out. Every Everything that you need to accomplish what I talked about this morning has already been planted in you when you gave your life to Christ and you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God and we're raised back to life. Everything you need to accomplish what I'm talking about is already in there, planted in you by God. Now you just need to mine it out. You need to mine it out. You need to work it out. You can achieve this. Some of you are like, this is so radically crazy to think about who can ever achieve this you can you can you can do it why is it because you have the strength because you're so no because of what god has already done and planted in your life and now the holy spirit can work in that area i'm going to move to my second point and it'll be very quick what you need to do is you need to draw on the power of god not your own You need to draw on the power of God, not your own. It's simple. You can't pull this off by yourself. You can't. It's been planted in you, right? It's planted, but now you're going to try to mine it out. You're going to try to work out your salvation. You're going to try to work out and become more Christ-like, become more sacrificial in your work. But you can't. You just can't do it on your own. Too often, too often, we strive for self-sacrifice. By our own efforts, by our own strength. But trusting in ourselves, think about this, trusting in yourself to deny yourself, okay, is just an exercise in futility. Trusting yourself to deny yourself is an exercise in futility. Self-sacrifice is draining to both body and to spirit. It is draining. It's challenging to the ego and sometimes makes you feel like death. You work. uh, Everyone here who is older at some point will, will resonate with what I'm saying. You give and you give and you sacrifice and you give. And honestly, you turn around sometimes and you wonder, was that all in vain? I, I, what, I just, what did I just do? I spent all of that time just literally giving of myself and I feel like it was in vain. And while our effort, while our effort and our self-sacrifice, this is important, while it's vitally important, my effort and my self-sacrifice is vitally important, it is empty without the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't work it out on your own. You can't do it on your own. Galatians 5, 21, 22 and 23 remind us, but the fruit of the what? The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Against these things, there is no law. It's the fruit of the Spirit, okay, that is all those things. It's the Spirit of God working in us. Considering others more important than yourself is a spiritual discipline. It's a spiritual discipline that starts with, is powered by... And find its fulfillment in the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life. So yes, we need to mine it out. We need to work it out. Our own effort and our own sacrifice, our own sacrificial attitude is extremely important. But it will never happen without the power of the Holy Spirit. Now I'm going to close off there because I want to take communion. But I want to close off there and we're going to continue on this whole series. We're going to continue this sermon next week. We're going to talk about what it means to find value in God alone. We're going to talk about what, how do we, how do we build those boundaries? 
I mean, around this in situations where it is dangerous to be around certain people, you want to sacrifice, but you need to have boundaries around certain people. We'll talk about how to do that. But first, I'm going to read from first Corinthians, first Corinthians, chapter 11, verse 23. I'm going to read. Okay, then I'm going to pray for the bread and for the cup. And they're they're back here after I'm finished reading. After I'm finished praying, you don't have to wait for anybody else. As the Holy Spirit leads you, you can get up from your your chair, go and take the bread and the cup, come sit back down. You can kneel up here wherever you'd like, okay? And you don't have to wait for anybody else to drink of the cup or take of the the bread, all right? So I'm going to read, pray, and then we're going to take communion together. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, it says... For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father God, thank you for this time that we can spend together. Father, thank you for a church. Thank you, thank you, thank you for a church that is willing, as difficult as it is, that is willing to come here Sunday after Sunday and be challenged to recognize our our sinfulness, to recognize our failures, to recognize our personality flaws, to recognize and own those things, Lord God, and then say, what can I do? What can I do? To become more like my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How can I die to self so I can be, so I can reflect Christ even more in my life? And Father, we thank you for Jesus, the one who we want to reflect, the one who we want to become like. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his death on the cross, for loving us so much that he would die on the cross and offer up his body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to you. We thank you for this bread, which, which symbolizes his body, which was given for us. Father, we thank you for the cup, which symbolizes the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. And because we're covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, we can enter into the Holy of Holies. We can enter into your presence. We can talk to you like you're our dad. Have a conversation with you. I don't think we recognize what a privilege that truly is, but because of what Jesus Christ did, we take it almost for granted now that we're able to do that, to just come into your presence and talk to you. Father, we ask you that you remind us of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. That you remind us of who he was and what he did for us. And you would help us to become more like him every single day of our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. We honor you. We glorify you. You are an awesome God. Amen.